Well, hey everyone, my name is Norton Herbst. I'm one of the pastors at New Denver Church, and this is a special podcast today. It's not a sermon. Uh, it's not part of a sermon series. It's a special reflection on the meaning of Epiphany. So Epiphany is a holiday, or what is sometimes called a feast day, and it always takes place on January the 6th, every year. And if you have no idea what Epiphany is about, that's fine. That's what this podcast is going to be about. I'm going to answer that question. I'll tell you a little bit about the history of the Epiphany holiday, uh, what it means, what it's about, and we're actually going to look at a few key passages in the Bible that are associated with Epiphany. So in a way, this podcast will be like Epiphany 101, um, but I also want it to be a bit like a reflection. I don't want to just give you some information I would love to give you some time and space to thoughtfully engage the day of Epiphany. So uh, hopefully you're listening to this on January the 6th. If you're not, that's okay. If it's a different day or if it's before January the 6th, that's fine. But if it, it is today, January the 6th, um, I hope you'll set aside some time, um, maybe the next, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes or so, as you listen to this, to just be present uh, to use this time in a devotional or almost a contemplative sense. Um, so ideally, you're not listening to this while you're working or while you're driving or exercising or doing something else that's distracting. If you are, that's that's okay. But if possible, if you could just carve out some time to listen to this, to find a quiet place, um, a quiet space, um and not just listen to this for information, but to actually use this as a time of reflection, uh, I think that would be the most meaningful thing. So with all that in mind, let's go ahead and jump in. I want to start with a prayer. Um, and so if if you're able to make this a reflection time, uh, just find a comfortable seat. Um, maybe close your eyes. That always helps me not be distracted by other things. Uh, put your foot um, I was going to say put your phone away. You're probably listening to this on your phone, but maybe turn it over so you're not looking at other stuff. Um, maybe put your hand on your heart. You'll see why in a second. And listen to these words as I pray them for all of us. God of Advent, of waiting and hoping, keep our hearts expectant, ready for your coming among us. God of Christmas, of celebration and rejoicing, make our hearts glad with the joy nothing can take from us. God of Epiphany, of hiding and making known, fill our hearts with wonder at the revelation of your glory that we have seen in Christ our Lord. Amen. So, Let's talk a bit about what Epiphany is all about. The prayer that I just prayed uh, shows the really important connection between Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. In fact, these three holidays um, have sometimes been called the cycle of light uh, during the church calendar year. So Advent is about waiting for the light. Christmas is about celebrating the light, and Epiphany is about revealing the light, or shining 
the light. So uh, the Greek word epiphany literally means to reveal something or to manifest something or to bring something to light. So um, the image that we have in our culture, right, is when somebody has an epiphany, it's like a light bulb goes off in their minds, right? Because suddenly they saw something or they understood something in a way that they didn't before. We call that an epiphany. It's like something was hidden or there was something they couldn't really see or there was something they couldn't grasp. It was it was elusive. It was hidden. And then suddenly something happened and now they see the light. And so uh, another word for epiphany might be enlightenment or illumination, right? And so the idea is that Jesus is the light who has come into our world and is now lighting up or illuminating our dark world. He's now shining in our world. He's bringing truth and justice and compassion and hope into our world. And so uh, here's another way to think about this. Advent, the season of Advent is like 3 a.m. in the morning. It's dark and it's cold outside. It's the middle of winter and it's the middle of night. And so Advent is about living in the dark and waiting and hoping for the light. Uh, Christmas is like when the first rays of light appear on the horizon. If you've ever been outside camping and you've gotten up early in the morning, you know that the sky just begins to turn uh, blue. It's not black anymore. It begins to turn dark blue and then light blue and then maybe even purple or pink and orange and yellow. And that morning that you've been waiting for and hoping for and trusting will come, it is finally coming. But epiphany is when you actually see the sun, right? It begins to get light before you see the sun, but eventually you'll see the sun pop up over the horizon and now you see the source of the light, right? And the source of the light has always been there. The sun didn't actually go anywhere. It's just been hidden, right? The earth spins and it's been hidden. So it's been dark, but now you see the sun and that's epiphany. So you could say uh, the, the, the epiphany is like the culmination of everything that Advent looks forward to and Christmas celebrates. All right. So that's what epiphany is about um, conceptually, if you will. Uh, let me give you some history of how it actually started to be celebrated as a holiday on January the 6th, and then we'll turn to our Bibles and look at um, a few key stories that are associated with epiphany. Uh, there's actually evidence that epiphany was first celebrated as a holiday in the 2nd or 3rd century in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. Now, Advent was also a season that was celebrated during this time. Advent was celebrated during uh, November and December. It was a, a season where things are getting very dark and um, Christians or followers of Jesus were anticipating when Jesus would return. Um, and then Epiphany was celebrated on January the 6th. And this was actually before there was any Christmas holiday on December 25th. So just Take that off the board for a second. There was no Christmas. There was nothing special about December 25th. There was just this one celebration on January 6th. It was called Epiphany. And on that day, it included uh, reading and celebrating stories of Jesus' birth, of um, and, and then some of the early stories of Jesus' life, the Magi visiting him, uh, Jesus' baptism, and even the first miracle that he performs. 
Um, and these are all from the first few chapters of the gospel accounts. And so this is like the beginnings of the stories of who Jesus is. And all of these things were celebrated as God bringing his light into the world. Well, eventually in the western part of the empire, uh, church leaders decided, let's mark December 25th as the actual day when we celebrate Jesus' birth. And so that became Christmas. And so on Christmas Day, uh, the stories of his conception and birth were read and celebrated. But on January the 6th, it continued to be the holiday of Epiphany, where three stories from Jesus' early life were still read and celebrated. And so there's this sense that Epiphany was the culmination of the long season of Advent and then the day of Christmas where Jesus' birth is celebrated. Um, Now that's interesting because it's a bit the opposite of the way we approach these holidays today, right? Now, Christmas dominates everything, mainly because uh, the Christmas holiday has been embraced by the wider culture. It's not just a Christian holiday anymore. Um, It's become very consumeristic, right? Because we give gifts and we buy lots of stuff for Christmas. Um, There's all kinds of songs. There's all kinds of traditions around Christmas. And those things aren't necessarily bad, Um, But Christmas has come to dominate everything at the end of the year, and oftentimes there's a little bit of Advent thrown in, and and for most Christians, almost no epiphany. A lot of Christians haven't even really heard of epiphany, Um, which is the exact opposite of how the early church approached these seasons. Advent was a long and really important season in the early church. Epiphany was the primary celebration of God sending his son Jesus into the world to shine into the darkness, and Christmas Day was only added later. So um, here's maybe just a question to reflect on for you as you think about your life and the way you engage these holidays at the end of the year. What might it look like um, for you to recover some of the meaning and the richness of the season of Advent and the holiday of Epiphany. And that might be hard, right? Because of the American traditions that are around um, Thanksgiving as well, and particularly Christmas. And as I said a second ago, it's not that our traditions are bad. It's just that they dominate so much of what we do in this season. Um, And there's lots of good things about how we celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas, but we often miss the aspects of Advent and Epiphany that were originally celebrated by followers of Jesus. And so I would just encourage you to dig into those traditions and those seasons of Advent and Epiphany more and ask the question, what what might we have lost? What are some things about how early Christians celebrated these seasons that it might be good for us to revisit and potentially recover. All right, so that's some history. Um, Now, let's look more closely at what this day of Epiphany was about and the three stories that are historically associated with Epiphany. Uh, The first is from Matthew chapter 2. It's a very familiar story. In fact, you associate this as a Christmas story, but it really is an Epiphany story. So let me read Part of it for you. Um, This is from the New Living Translation, just to give you 
maybe something different than what you're used to hearing. And, and Matthew says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men or magi from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Uh, Now, Matthew goes on and he tells us why Herod is disturbed and this conversation that takes place between Herod and the wise men. And then Matthew says this, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. They went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house. By the way, not a manger at this point. This is probably later. This does not happen on the same night that Jesus is born. This happens probably much later. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Now, as I said, we all know this story, um, but here's why it's actually more of an epiphany story than a Christmas story. Because Matthew is telling us, and God, I think, is revealing to us that Jesus was not sent just to be a savior or a messiah or a king for the Jewish people. He was sent to be a light to all people, right? Because we have this story of these magi or these wise men that we traditionally call them. Um, And some traditions say it was three kings, right? And in fact, in some Latin American countries, Epiphany is actually called the Feast of Three Kings because this story becomes so central into how they celebrate it in in those cultures. Um, Whether they were kings or not, um, whether there were three of them or not, isn't important. The Bible doesn't ever really say that. That's more just a tradition. But what's most important is that these were Gentiles. These were not Jews. These were men from a foreign country. And that God had revealed a a star, right, to them, a bright and shining star that they saw and that led them to come and worship Jesus. And when they got there, they realized Jesus will be like this star. He will be a shining light for all people. Um, If you can, I want you to take a moment and look at a famous painting of this scene. Um, you might need to Google this. Uh, so uh, the name of the painting is called The Adoration of the Magi, and it's by Albrecht Durer. Um, so the easiest way to search for this is just search for Adoration of the Magi, and then just type in the word Durer, D-U-R-E-R. That's his last name. And if you Google that, you'll find it. There are lots of different paintings called The Adoration of the Magi, but look for the one by Durer. And when you find it, um, maybe just take a moment to look at it. This is trying to capture the scene. What do you notice? 
This was a painting done in 1504. You could say at the height of the Renaissance. Um, It was commissioned by a German prince uh, to hang inside the castle church in the German city of Wittenberg. Um, Now, a few of you who know some of your history might recognize that name. Wittenberg is where Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door 13 years later in 1517, partly launching the Protestant Reformation. So this painting was a painting Martin Luther himself was very familiar with. It would have been just a few feet on the other side of the door where he nailed his theses. But I want to point out a few things about this painting. Um, Notice that Mary is pictured sitting there with Jesus. Um, There's even, if you can zoom in to sort of the bottom center left there, there's a stone seat uh, there. And it's almost as if Durer put that little seat there, an empty seat in the bottom of the painting, because he's inviting us to sit there and to adore Jesus as well. Um, Notice in the background, the architecture and how it's crumbling. Notice the dark sky. Notice there are soldiers on the right, possibly uh, Roman soldiers representing the oppression of the Jews during the time of Jesus. Maybe they're Herod's soldiers who, if you read the rest of the story, who come to look for Christ after the wise men depart and they're looking for him to kill him on the orders of Herod. All of these things in the background would be communicating the decay, the darkness, the violence of our world. But there in the middle are three main figures who represent the wise men. Uh, One is kneeling. Um, The one standing in the middle is most prominent. And interestingly, this is a self-portrait of the painter himself, Albrecht Dürer. Um, And he's not being prideful. He's not trying to put himself in the middle of the painting. Um, He is imagining himself as someone worshiping and bringing gifts to Jesus. But I think the third figure is the most interesting. The third king, or the third wise man. He's the one standing to the right. And notice that he's African. He has very dark skin. He has short hair and an earring in his ear. And of course, while the whole painting has a very European feel to it, right? This is the way all Renaissance paintings are. It's also very intentional to paint this third wise man this way. To show that the wise men represent all of humanity. That Jesus did not come for one select group or one ethnic group or one particular group of people, but that Jesus came for all people. There's a second epiphany story that I want to read for you. It's found in Mark chapter 1. Now, interestingly, in Mark's gospel, Mark doesn't say anything about Jesus' birth. We really only hear about Jesus' birth in Matthew and Luke's accounts. Um, In Mark's account, he begins the whole story of Jesus 
with a baptism story. Here's what he says. Uh, John the Baptist was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So John was doing this thing. He was encouraging people to repent, to turn to God, and a symbolic way of doing that and to showing how serious they were about turning to God was to be baptized in this water, to be dunked under the water, to represent sort of dying to their sins and embracing this new life of forgiveness with God. And it says all of these people from Jerusalem and Judea were coming out to be baptized. But then Mark tells us one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. So Mark begins his entire story about Jesus with Jesus' baptism. And Jesus' baptism is like an epiphany. Because it's different from all the other baptisms. All the other people that are getting baptized. When Jesus is baptized, Mark tells us three things happen. The heavens split open. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon Jesus. And the voice of God the Father himself speaks words of affirmation about Jesus. This doesn't happen when John baptizes anyone else. It's not as if the other baptisms are not important. They are. But this is the moment when it becomes clear to John the Baptist. And this is the moment when it becomes clear to everyone else who is there. And this is the moment when it will become clear to Jesus himself that Jesus has been sent on a unique mission as God's unique son and with God's full affirmation and God's love. So uh, Jesus is an adult at this point. He's probably about 30 years old. Um, We don't really know what Jesus understood about himself up until this point in his life. We have almost no stories from his childhood, from his adolescence, as he's a teenager, in his 20s, right? But it's at this baptism, at this moment, right after this, We're told that Jesus goes into the wilderness to be alone with his father, and then he comes back and he begins his public ministry, right? And it's in this moment that God audibly says to Jesus and to everyone else, you are my son, which is not just encouragement and it's not just affirmation. It's those things, but it's almost as if this is an anointing of Jesus, Because it's like an anointing ceremony in the ancient world. uh, When a king was anointed to to lead the people, uh, a king would be anointed on his head with oil and he would be installed on his throne. He would be given this role and this responsibility. But for Jesus, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. And he is reminded of the most important truth that he could know. 
That before you save anyone, Jesus, before you teach anyone, Jesus, before you heal anyone, Jesus, before you begin to bring my kingdom into this world and my rule and my reign into this world, before you do all of the amazing things that you are about to do, do not forget, first and foremost, you are my son. You are dearly loved. And you can only imagine as John the Baptist is there, as Jesus' friends are there, maybe even some of Jesus' family members are there, when this happens, when the heavens split open, when this dove descends down, when this voice comes from heaven, it's like an epiphany, right? They're all there, and, and you can only imagine that they're all thinking, oh my gosh, we thought there was something different about Jesus, like we've kind of been watching him, and we realize he's different than everyone else, but now... We know that there is something really different and that he is about to do something amazing. And that leads to a third epiphany story. And this one is from the book of John. In John chapter 2, John says that after Jesus calls his first disciples, this is what happens. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Well, dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, just do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. And this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So many of you listening might know this story very well. You've maybe heard it in church before. We won't go through all the details, but you know, Jesus is at a wedding. The wine runs out. His mother says, I think he can do something about this. I don't know how, but he's pretty good at solving problems, right? And Jesus ends up turning the water into wine. And not bad wine, like the best wine. But what's so important to the story is the way John wraps it all up by saying, when Jesus did this, it was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And the word revealed in Greek, that was originally written in Greek, is literally the word epiphany. It's the Greek word epiphany. It means Jesus showed us something we had never seen before. 
Jesus did something we've never seen before. Jesus revealed something to us. He manifested something. He brought something to light about who he is that we have never seen before. Jesus revealed his glory. And the word glory there, uh, it just basically means light. It means brilliance. It means the most brilliant, radiant light. Jesus, it's like the sun. We finally see the sun on the horizon. We see the source. Jesus revealed it. We see where the light is coming from. Jesus showed us who he really is for the first time. Now, if you read the rest of John's account and you read the rest of the other uh, uh, gospel accounts, you see that the rest of the stories about Jesus continue to reveal who he is and why he came, ultimately culminating in his death and resurrection. And traditionally, uh, the church um, reads through the rest of these stories during the season of Lent, which begins in February, usually I think every now and then it starts like at the very beginning of March, but it starts sometime in February or March and it always culminates in Holy Week, right? So this is the journey we take with Jesus to fully understanding who he is and why he came. But Epiphany is where Jesus first reveals for us who he is and that he came not just for some people, but for all people. So with all of that in mind, I want to wrap up by giving you a few suggestions for just leaning into the spirit of Epiphany uh, today and during the next few weeks during the new year. Uh, The first suggestion is this. Number one, uh, look for light. Look for light in our world. Um, there's a lot of darkness right now. Uh, we could talk about all the ways that our world is dark, right? All the ways that our world is broken. And it's so easy for us every single day with all the information and all the news and all of the sort of stuff we're bombarded with. It's so easy to fret about the darkness, to become more anxious and more afraid of all the things that make our world dark. But there's light too. And we have to look for it, right? Sometimes it's hard to find it, but if you look for it, you'll see it. And the light can penetrate the darkness. It can make our world brighter. In fact, this is why candles play such a huge role uh, in the Christian faith and in the Christian tradition. They play a role in Advent and Christmas and Epiphany as well, because they symbolize this idea that even in the midst of the darkness, there is light and the light can shine in the darkness. So the first suggestion is just to begin to look for light. When you get overwhelmed with dark, when the darkness continues to pour in, choose not to focus on it. Choose to look for the light. Uh, Second suggestion for you. Number two is to engage Jesus. Engage Jesus. If you're new to church, if you are new to the Christian faith, 
Or perhaps you grew up going to church and maybe you're re-engaging it or you're asking questions about it again. Um, I think this is the most important thing you can do. Yes, there's lots of other stuff in the Bible and there's all kinds of questions and, and challenges to talk about. But the most important thing you can do is, is to ask the question of who Jesus is. Um, even if you've been a Christian your whole life. I would say this is the most important thing we can continue to do because this is a thing we often forget to do. We become so accustomed to the stories about Jesus that we stop engaging who he really is. And so I want to encourage you to engage Jesus. Learn about him. Ask about him. Seek out who he is. Read the stories about who Jesus is, perhaps with a new perspective. Read those three stories we looked at today again. Read other stories in the gospel accounts. Ask the question, what is Jesus revealing about himself in this story, in this teaching, in this parable he told, in this miracle that he did, in this encounter or this conversation he had with somebody? What do I need to pay attention to, right? What is it that I could learn about him? This might be something you do for the next few weeks. Um, some church traditions celebrate Epiphany for just one day on January the 6th. Some celebrate it for the next several weeks all the way until Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent begins. You might pick a gospel account and decide you're just going to read it. Even though you've read it before, you're going to read it over the next few weeks and ask, the, ask God the question, what might you reveal to me, God, that I need to see? and learn about Jesus. Or, or maybe um, it's the new year and you're doing a Bible reading plan right now. You're going to read through the whole Bible over the course of the year, and you're in the Old Testament right now, and you can't really squeeze in a gospel account, because you, right? And that's totally fine. When you read the Old Testament, you can ask the question, how does what I'm reading here point to what I see in Jesus? Maybe not directly. I'm not talking about prophecies or anything like that. But how does what I'm reading in Genesis or Exodus or Leviticus or Deuteronomy or the Old Testament, how is what I'm reading here illuminating and revealing more about who Jesus is? So engage Jesus. And then the last suggestion I have, number three, is this. Shine the light. Shine the light. Epiphany is about seeing and experiencing the light, but then it's also about manifesting it or shining it in our own lives. Uh, there's a poet named Mary Oliver, and um, she summarized this idea better than anyone else in one of her poems. It's called Sometimes. Um, she wrote these three very short lines. Pay attention be astonished. Tell about it. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. That's the heart of Epiphany. Pay attention to who Jesus is. Be astonished. And then tell about it. In your actions, in your attitudes, in the choices you make, in the life you live, and yes, even in the words you use and the way you talk and what you tell to other people, tell about it. 
a few weeks ago, <clears throat> I was in uh, New Mexico. I spent a few days uh, with a friend at a monastery in northern New Mexico. It's way down deep in this canyon where there is almost no artificial light. And uh, we had gone to the church for a church service at night, and we were walking back. It's about 10-minute walk outside back to our rooms, and um, it's completely dark. It was at night, but it wasn't dark. It was so bright because there was a full moon out that night. And uh, it, it, it didn't even feel like night. I mean, the, the moon was so large and so bright, and we were both talking about it. We were marveling over how bright the moon was. We didn't need a flashlight. Uh, we didn't need any. I mean, we could see the road. We could see everything in front of us. It was like daytime. That's how bright the moon was. And then I remembered, the moon does not produce its own light. The moon is not a source of light. The moon is simply reflecting the light of the sun, right? And the sun must be so bright, we can't even see it as we're walking because it's night, right? The way the earth is spinning, it's on the other side of the earth, so, so we can't see it. That's why it's night. And even though it's millions of miles away from the moon, it is so bright that it is shining on the moon and the moon is reflecting that light back to us and it is lighting up our entire world at night. And I remember thinking, that's who we are. That's who we are called to be. We are called to simply reflect and shine the light of Jesus in our dark world. And so let me close with this epiphany blessing for you and for me and for all of us who are hoping to look for the light, to engage Jesus and to shine his light in our world. May you be drawn to the light like the wise men were. May you know that you are loved like Jesus was. And may you grow more and more in your understanding of who Jesus was. And may you shine the light of Jesus in every place that you go. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.